Well, if you have your Bibles, if you could open them up to Exodus chapter 20, we're going to be... Cheryl, where are you going? I'm just getting up here. Wow. Um, Exodus 20, we're going to be in three main places this morning, and this is the first of the three. And uh, if you know, if you've been here, you know that we're in a series through the Ten Commandments, and a lot of us, including me, have never really been through a series in the Ten Commandments. So this is new for me. I'm learning. I'm exciting. Or I'm exciting. Whoa. <laughs> I think I just broke a couple of commandments on that one. I'm excited about learning and teaching you and exploring with you what the Lord is saying to us. You might be coming here this morning thinking, finally, a week off, because I don't steal. Oh, I pity you. <laughs> Several months ago, there was a rash of house and vehicle burglaries in Forks Township. Our home was one of the ones that were, that were hit. I think we left the garage door open um, all night, and somebody walked in, stole my cordless drill, stole, stole the, the battery and the charger for it. That was mild, but it left the same feeling that it always leaves whenever I'm a victim of theft, violated and angry. How many of us, and put your hands up if this is you, how many of us have had something stolen from us in our lifetimes? Raise your hand. A little bit harder question. How many of you have, would actually admit that you have stolen something? Gary, did you steal my drill? <laughs> in all of these commandments, there's a positive and there's a negative. Now, I want to bring something to your awareness in case you haven't noticed it, that all nine of the ten of these ten commandments are negative. This is one of them. You shall not steal. But every one of them has a positive twist to it. So while God gives a negative commandment, there's a positive, more full response to it that He is asking from us. For example, the sixth command stops us from committing murder, murderous anger. While at the same time, there's a positive view to it. We've got to do everything that's within our power to preserve life in other people. So listen, here's the metaphor I'm going to use this morning, and I think it's going to be helpful for us. We're going to see that each of these commands has a red light to it, like a traffic signal, and it turns green. The red light, we're going to look at immediately, and then we're going to look at how it turns green. There's a red light, there's a negative part to it, and then there's a positive, that's the green part to it. You saw it last week, by the way. You remember that command not to commit adultery? Remember if you double-click on the word adultery in Scripture, it's like a hyperlink, it expands to the broader part of sexual immorality, so it really is all about not not committing sexual immorality in any form. But there's a positive portion to it. The negative is don't commit adultery. That's the red light. There's a positive. There's a green. And that is be pure. Be faithful in every relationship. First to God. Be faithful to God. And then be faithful to your spouse. Whether you've not yet married and one day will, be faithful to that spouse. And be faithful to your spouse that you are married to currently. And the same is true for this commandment. Here's the red light. It says, you shall not steal, Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. And what that means simply, friends, is don't 
ever steal. It's a command that forbids stealing anything from anyone for any reason. And repeatedly in the Bible, God lays out specific details for what should happen if we do steal. In fact, if you go to Exodus, just another couple chapters after the one that we're in, all of a sudden you start reading that God says this, if you've stolen an ox, then you've got to make restitution and not just one ox back, you've got to bring five oxen back for the one that you've stolen. And if you stole a lamb, you just don't return one lamb, you've got to return four. The restitution price is greater than the stolen price. And he lays that out one after another in that chapter. What do you do when you actually steal? Friends, stealing is rampant in our world. Did you know that in 2010, just a year ago, one of 20 people in America experienced identity theft? From 2008 to 2009, that figure jumped up 11%. If you were in California in 2009 and you drove a Honda Accord, you had a really, really high likelihood of having your car stolen. In 2009, 800,000 vehicles were stolen. You know what that means? That's one every 40 seconds. Again, if you're in California and you owned a a Honda motorcycle, you were the number one victim out of 56,000 motorcycles stolen every year. Interestingly, not a lot of Harleys stolen. They don't run long enough to get away from the driveway. Where's Randy Wood, by the way? Is he in here? Oh, hey, Randy. Sorry about that. I'm I'm a Honda motorcycle owner. What do paper clips, pens... Light bulbs, coffee, chairs, and computers have in common? I'm going to tell you something. Listen, better strap yourself in. They're all part of almost $1 trillion a year of employee theft. Did you hear that? The number is $994 billion a year gone by employees. We steal from employees whenever we give less than our best at work. Wow, I just caught a bunch of us. I want you to think through this. This is serious stuff. Computer hacking, shoplifting, art theft, stealing someone else's Wi-Fi, plagiarism, kidnapping, illegal music, downloading, tax fraud. All of these are ways that stealing occurs. Have you ever been tired at work and you blow off a couple hours Facebooking or playing Angry Bird or mindlessly searching the Internet? You're getting paid for that. That's theft. Years ago, when I worked for Consolidated Freightways, I learned something as a dock worker. Dock workers often hide in the back of truck trailers at least an hour each shift doing nothing. Taking unemployment or taking welfare checks when you are able to work and work is available is thievery. It's what Jeremiah 17 hints at, like a partridge that gathers a brood She did not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by justice. Companies steal from their employees when they reorganize and give three people's work to one, violating the original contract. You ever taken a sick day when you're healthy? Friends, that's stealing and that is lying. 
to the company that pays you. I had one EMT tell me one time, I went to visit one of the teens in our youth ministry on a Sunday evening in the emergency center of the hospital. The EMT told me when I wondered at how packed it was, he says, don't ever try, try never to go to the hospital emergency center on Sunday evening. I said, why? He says, they're packed with people who are trying to get a medical excuse to get out of work on Monday. Experts report that workplace theft in all of its forms, you better listen to this, this is amazing, accounts for American goods being approximately 15% higher than they ought to be. Stealing breaks and violates, however, more than just the Eighth Commandment. It breaks the Third Commandment. Have you ever noticed in Proverbs 30, as the psalmist is praying, or as the writer of Proverbs is praying that God will provide, he prays, give me neither poverty or riches, lest I be poor, and listen, and steal and profane the name of my God. You steal, you profane God's name, you break and you violate the third commandment as well. But it's more than that. When you steal, you covet what your neighbor has. It's a violation of the tenth commandment. Even worse, stealing is the refusal to love God by trusting Him to provide. I don't trust that you're going to provide God, so I'm going to take what is not mine to give me what I want. And you do that by violating the horizontal law of God by not loving your neighbors yourself. Friends, stealing breaks, it disrupts, you've got to get the scope of this, the entire moral law, all ten commandments. It is serious. In fact, the first sin in human history consisted of Eve taking what was not only not hers, but what she was told not to take. Thievery. And you turn with me now to to Joshua chapter 6. And if you could turn there, I want you to look at verse 17. This is the second of three passages we're going to be in. And we're going to see a vivid example that can help us understand why is stealing such a big deal? I mean, come on, friends. Have you ever wondered, why did it make the top ten? I mean, granted, it stinks to have somebody steal from you. It's never fun. But there's a lot of heinous things in this world. Why did stealing make the Ten Commandment list? We get to Joshua chapter 6 and we read in verse 17, in the midst of this famous battle of Israel where they conquered because of God's power, this walled city of Jericho. And we see the command of God in verse 17, And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Did you get that underlined that? Devoted to the Lord. See, in other words, everything in Jericho belonged to God. It was His. He laid claim to it. The spoils of the war go to the Lord. Yet there was a soldier that became captivated with the treasures of Jericho. You know his name. His name was Achan. And he saw there... Stuff that he had never possessed in his life. Gold, silver, fancy clothes. Here's what chapter 7, verse 21 says. He saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Some experts 
total the gold alone to be $5,000. Really not a lot. He saw them, verse 21, he coveted them and he took them. Now here's the interesting thing. After that battle was done, Joshua, the leader of the Israelites, says, okay, let's go get the next town on our way to the promised land. We're going to be settling the land of Canaan. This is the land God has given us. And this is a small town, not a lot of defenses. Just Listen, we don't need the whole army. We just need 3,000 fighting men. Go take, take care of business and let me know when it's done. And they get soundly defeated. Fleeing from the villagers of Ai. And Joshua throws himself down before the Lord and says, God, what happened? We've, we've defeated Jericho, the toughest city here, and all of a sudden this little town sends us running. What happened? And God says in verse 11, and I want you to read this with me, because this starts to begin to enlarge what thievery is. The Lord said to Joshua, verse 10, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Verse 11 Israel has sinned, God says, but we're going to find out in a minute it was Achan. But God says Israel has sinned. They, look at the plural, they have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. And we're going to find out there's just one guy doing all of this. You see, this is what stealing does. It corrupts the family of God. It pollutes the community of God's people. So here's what Joshua does because the Lord tells him to do this. He says, bring before me all the tribes and I will point out to you which tribe is guilty. So Joshua does. He has each of the 12 tribes come before him. And then he throws the lot. And that was one of the ways that they determined the will of the Lord and the lot fell on the tribe of Judah. And all of a sudden, Achan's getting a little bit nervous because what are the chances of that? That's my tribe. And then all the clans that make up the tribe of Judah step forward one at a time. And the lot falls on the descendants of Zerah. And guess whose grandfather Zerah was? Now Achan is getting afraid because that's his grandfather. And the Zerahites stepped forward and the family of Zimri was taken. And now he knew, I'm in serious trouble because his father is Zimri. And each person in the family of Zimri comes before Joshua and the lot doesn't fall on any of them. And finally, it's Achan's turn to stand before Joshua. He throws the lot and the lot falls on him. You know, I wonder, maybe... If what is bouncing around in the mind of Achan at that moment are the words of Moses that he shared with Israel just before he died, just a little while ago, these words, if you have sinned against the Lord, be sure your sin will find you out. And they took Achan, and they took his wife, and they took his children, they took every single possession that he had, and they took them all to the valley of the core and stoned them there and burned it all. And we might say, well, that's a bit of an overreaction, but yet you need to understand thievery pollutes the people of God. See, the seriousness of his theft was that he robbed God who owns everything. And this gets precisely why now we understand why is stealing 
in the top ten because it's a heinous crime, first of all, to God. We might hold legal ownership of our homes if you paid off your bank note. If you haven't, your bank owns it. But you might hold legal ownership of your house. You might own your cars. You might own possessions. But friends, listen, the Bible says over and over, God has sovereign ownership over everything. Well, how do you know that? All right, here's where by faith you approach the Word of God along with me. And say, Lord, if you say it, then I'll believe it and I will live it. Look what God's Word says. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is within it. And he goes on, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world in its fullness are mine. And he goes on, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. You see, God holds the deed to the universe and every single thing within it belongs to Him. You might have somebody steal against you, but what they're really doing is stealing and robbing God. We rob God, friends, when we do not give Him the praise and the credit and the glory that He is due. And we rob God when we do not give Him the attention that He is owed throughout the day each week. We rob God of His reputation when those of us who bear the name of Christ live in such a way as to bring His reputation down. We steal from Him. We rob God when we steal from Him when we, and we steal from Him when we don't faithfully manage what He has given to us. You know, the, Old, the New Testament doesn't really command tithing. It mentions tithing in retrospect to the old. There's a little bit of a difference that happens. There's a shift in the thinking that Jesus gives. You see, in the Old Testament, the word tithe meant tenth. If you added up all the offerings, it really was closer to 28%. But they were to set aside one-tenth of all that they owned and they were, bring it, they were to bring it to God at the temple. Why? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, is God like the pagan gods where He brings piles of gold and silver to heaven and sets His throne atop of the cash? He doesn't need money. Listen, they brought the money and the possessions and the grain offerings to the temple because there were orphans in the land that couldn't eat. And there were widows in the land whose husbands died in battle and in accidents out in the fields. And there were priests who didn't have opportunity for secular employment to make a living because they worked their whole lives in the temple. So this money was for the priests and the widows and the orphans and the sojourners and those who could not provide for themselves. And this is precisely why the book of Malachi judges Israel where God says, will man rob God? Did you hear that? Will man rob God? You see, what the New Testament does, it says, listen, it's not one-tenth of your, it's not one-tenth of your possessions that belong to God. Now listen, everybody look at me. This is really important. Jesus corrects that. It's everything in your possession 
belongs to God. He owns it all. And he gives because he loves to give. And we're his children. And he's a giving father. And he gives so that we would use it for his glory. Will man rob God, he says in the book of Malachi, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in, in your tithes and contributions, God says. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. You see, God had given them land. He gave them health. He gave them an increase. He gave them blessings. But they would not bring back to God what he was owed. Friends, giving is always, it was then and it is today, it's obedient faith in action, trusting that God will providentially care for you. When we don't give as God has instructed, we are betraying the weakness of our faith. Now, are you seeing with me, all we're looking at is the red light. This is the stop sign. This is the negative part of the eighth command. You shall not steal. Are you seeing how broad this really is? It's really not just walking into my garage and taking my cordless drill. It's a whole lot bigger than that. And all of a sudden, the light turns green and God begins to show us just how big this really is. Here's the green light. Be generous with God's possessions. Be generous with God's possessions. And we begin to see this. You remember the story of that rich young ruler, right, who came to Jesus. And now we're going to turn to our final section in Scripture in Matthew chapter 19. Because this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus in verse 16 saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And here's what Jesus says to him in verse 17. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. In other words, Jesus explains that there's only one person who's ever done anything to the standard of God's righteousness so that he could be called good. And that person is who you're talking to, rich young ruler. I'm the person, Jesus says. But listen, if you're going to come to me and you're going to ask me what you've got to do to gain God's acceptance, then I'm going to tell you what you've got to do. And here it is. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. By the way, this was nothing new. All the Jews knew. If you wanted eternal life, you've got to live the, the Word of God. You've got to obey the commands. This was taught in Ezekiel 20. I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. But here's the problem. All of that was to drive us to the idea and the firm realization, hey, I can't live any of God's rules the way that He's asking. I keep dropping them. I keep putting those tennis balls below the water and they keep popping up if you remember the first week of the series. And that's what God's law is supposed to do. It's supposed to drive us to the point where we give up in moral despair realizing we're bankrupt. We're not righteous. So here's what the rich young man does when Jesus says, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Listen to the audacity. He says, all right, which ones? Do you remember from last week that I explained the way legalism has to work? See, legalism has to take the law of God and reduce it and reduce it and narrow it and narrow it 
until it's a bunch of little rules that you can try to manage to live. And if you manage to live any of these rules, you get a sense that, hey, I'm right before God. And the Bible calls that filled with self-righteousness, which is worthless in the sight of holy God. So Jesus says in verse 18, do not murder. If you want to know which rules that you've got to keep, which commandments, here they are. Do not murder. Do not, do not commit adultery. Do not steal. There's our eight. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And then he sums it up. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, did you see what he did? Friends, he only gave five of the commands. You know why he did that? All right. If you think you're going to do well enough to get accepted into eternal life and to become righteous, then here's five of them. And by the way, they're the five easier ones. These are the five where you just have to love each other. Listen, the hard ones are the vertical. I'll give you the easier ones. Here's five of them. And sum it up with love your neighbor as yourself. You do that, and God's going to look at you and say, wow, well done, good faithful servant. And you look at the audacity and the nerve of this rich young man in verse 20. All these I have kept, the young man said. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't had sex outside of marriage. I've never walked into a garage and taken anybody's stuff. I've never lied in court. I've never said Corbin over my possessions, denying my parents what is rightfully theirs as I support them in old age. I've never done any of those, Jesus. Then I am right. I am righteous. Then why do you think he says in verse 20, what do I still lack? Jesus, I've done all of these things you've told me. I've reduced them. That's what the rabbis have taught me. I've reduced them to just the red light. Just the literal statement of it. I've done all of them well, but something's missing in me because I'm still lacking something. What is it? And here's the beauty of Jesus. He knows the heart of this man. He says this, I gave you five easier ones. Let's just pull out of the five the easiest of the five. Don't steal. That's the red light of it, young man. Let me show you the green light and you tell me how you're doing. If you would be perfect, verse 21, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Look at verse 22. When the young man heard the green light, when he heard the positive part of the command, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see what Jesus did to him? It's what he's doing this morning. Don't stand before me and say, I've never stolen. Really, be thankful you've never stolen, but can you stand before me and say, everything I have is God's, and I'm willing to give it wherever he directs. That's the eighth commandment. That's the green light. That's the scope of it. That's what He's asking us to do. So what do we do with this command? Well, let me give us two action steps. Number one, this. We are stewards who care for God's possessions. Do you really believe that? Will you do me a favor? Let's make this a test. Would you pull out your wallet right now? Believe me, I'm not going to ask you to give me anything. I promise. Would you pull out your wallet? 
ladies, pull out your purse. You're going to be able to stow it in a minute, but pull it out. I want you to have it in your hands. What you're holding in your hand, is that yours or is that God's? Now, we know that here. What's it look like in real life? That's where you know what your faith looks like. Faith without works is dead, friends. Do you feel entitled to spend that money which way you want? You know what Denise and I learned to do? Our premarital counselor 21 years ago said, listen, I think I know you pretty well. You two need to choose an amount that you cannot spend beyond without coming together in agreement. So 21 years ago, we chose an amount. And that amount was $20. We couldn't spend above $20, obviously non-essential reoccurring items like groceries and gas notwithstanding, but we couldn't spend above $20 without coming together, praying and talking through it. We've been married for 21 years. We've raised the amount to 25 Because I know my capacity for mismanaging funds. Denise knows her capacity for mismanaging money, and we know what that does to a marriage as it fast erodes trust. Do we do that with God? Before you make a purchase, do you come to the Lord and say, God, is this what you want me to get? Is this okay with you? And we won't buy it until we get some direction. We are stewards who care for God's possessions. Repeatedly, Jesus stresses the principle of management of the true owner's possessions. And what the Bible means, friends, by ownership is not possessing things to use for our glory, but receiving things from God to use for His glory. Simply put, The Eighth Command is not just about stealing. It's about stewardship. It's about caring for somebody else's property, God's. And the end of all of God's property is His glory and the enlargement of His kingdom. Friends, where do we enjoy God's good gifts to us? As we exalt His name, not enlarge our own reputation. Listen, are you known as a clothes horse? We had a lady in our church years ago. She owned 80 pairs of shoes. She got rid of one of them. She told me she's got 79 now. God is making progress. Are we known as clothes horses? Are you a big spender? Do you have to get the best of everything? You know, there's that end of the spectrum, and then there's others like me on the other end of the spectrum. And we say things like, you know what, honey, I'm not cheap, I'm frugal. And frugality is just another way of saying I'm afraid of not having possessions, which makes me so careful and guarded in their use. Both of them are about faith. Spending for your reputation is about faithlessness, and holding on because you're afraid of not having is also about faithlessness. One, you're unfaithful. The other, you don't have faith. Followers of Christ have to find that difficult balance of generosity and careful, wise 
decision-making with all of our possessions. I'll never forget a story of a ministry that I worked at back in 1998. It's in Poughkeepsie, New York. And the director of the ministry was telling me that there was in their church a wealthy, wealthy woman. And he at that time was installing a storm door in her home. And when he came over to price it out and to give her an estimate, this woman had a lot of money he told her the, the amount will be $300 for labor. And she says, you know, I don't know if I should spend it. Let me pray about that and I'll get back to you. Here's a woman with wealth. $300 was nothing to her. And yet it was God's $300. It wasn't her right to spend it without asking Him. And so she did. And one of the things that I love and actually convicts me at the same time is working with our deacon board in the area of benevolence ministry. Friends, our deacon board is so solid. They give thousands and thousands of dollars a year to people who are in true need and they filter out those who aren't. They will give generously to those who are. They will withhold and pray and give counsel to those who are not in true need. They labor Oftentimes, 25-30% of the deacon meeting over decisions in the area of managing God's money, yet the end result is always, I've never not seen this, always generosity. And I walk away from deacon meetings where we've talked a lot about benevolence, always with God speaking into my soul this question, Tim, are you as generous with your money as you are with the church's? convicting are we as generous with what we have that god has given to us as we are with what other people have now you might be saying this morning you know i've got the red light down you shall not steal but i'm not quite seeing the green light let me bring it together for you ready look at this in ephesians here's the red light let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. You ready? The light just turned green so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And that's the total scope of the Eighth Commandment. That's the beauty of it. That's the depth of it. That's the difficulty of it. It's not just not stealing. It's recognizing everything I have has been given to me by God so that I would steward it for His glory and the enlargement of the kingdom and help people who are in need. But there's one more action point. If you want to prevent possessions from possessing you, then give generously as God directs. You see, the thief says, what is yours is mine. The Christian says, what is mine is yours. Did you hear that? The thief says, what is yours is mine. The Christian says, what is mine has been given to me by God. And I'm going to discern whether it needs to become yours. Kent Hughes says, every time I give, I declare that money does not control me. A.W. Tozer said, whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Better than both of them is what Jesus says. Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay it up in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Has God brought to mind that you've stolen? 
Remember, I've enlarged what thievery is. Has he brought to mind that you're a thief? Listen, you need to come clean and you need to make right what you've done. And while you're doing that and it frightens you to death, remember this. Do you remember when Jesus died on that cross? Do you remember who was on either side of him? Two thieves. They made a career out of breaking the Eighth Commandment. They were being put to death for it. And one of those two thieves saw the glimpse of God in flesh in Jesus dying for him. And he put his trust in Jesus, and he put his faith in Jesus, and Jesus says to him as he gives him grace beyond imagining, today in a few hours when you die, you will be in paradise with me. Friends, come clean as the people of God should. He will give you the grace to endure it. We are to be the generous people of God who have been entrusted with many things to steward for His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. Here's the eighth command. Do not ever on any occasion steal in any way, shape, or form. Make that light turn green and be generous the way that God directs because they're not your things. They're God's. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this message. Thank You for this command. Lord, I got to the beginning of this week looking at this and I couldn't think of anything more than about five minutes at the beginning of what I would say, but Lord, You enlarged your, my understanding. Lord, You've enlarged how I see this command and it's been convicting, it's been beautiful, it's been thrilling. Lord, I want to live the green light as well as I live the red light. And I pray that our people would as well. Give us the grace, Lord, to come clean. And if we need to make restitution, let us follow the Scripture's example and give back more than what we took. But Lord, let us live in a way that sees what we have as truly yours to do what you would have us to do with them. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.